0: Welcome to the Baseball Doesn't Fall, Far From the Tree podcast. For this episode of the Baseball Doesn't Fall, Far From the Tree podcast, we will be speaking with Al Downey, a native of Trent, New Jersey, and also a veteran of 17 seasons in the MLB. He was a part of World Series teams in 1961, 63, 64, and 1974. He led the American League in strikeouts in 1964, and was a member of the American League All-Star Team in 1967. He was voted the Comeback Player of the Year the Los Angeles Dodgers in 1971, where he won 20 games, and in 1974 he became a part of Major League Baseball history by giving up Hank Aaron's 715th home run. But as a 10-year-old, I met Al at a baseball banquet at Rutgers. He was on a panel with fellow New Jerseyans Monty Irvin, Jeff Torberg, and Tom Gorman. I was also the proud recipient of a ball autographed by all four. Unfortunately, I used the ball in a neighborhood baseball game and lost it in the woods at Field. I am sure you will enjoy this wonderful and modest man. Welcome, Al Down. Welcome to our show, Al.
1: Well, thank you, Rob. Nice talking with you.
0: Yeah. So um, I guess uh, I'm going to throw a question, you know, question out there, and then you, you take it up, sort of like fishing. I'll throw the line out, and you grab it, and you take it wherever you want to go with it. The, the bait better be good. Oh, it will be. It will be. But uh, the first thing I wanted to start off, since you're a Jersey guy, and I'm from Jersey, that um, what was it like growing up in Trenton when you did? You grew up in the, what, 40s and 50s?
1: And, I mean, I don't know much about the early forties. I mean, that the kid, you know, you your grade. Yeah, yeah. But but that's where you really a lot of your your character and your self awareness is, is developed because you're starting to interact with people outside of your 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 neighborhood.
2: Right. And so that, I, I, that was very good and what really helped was we had we had the boys club and the boys club you. Interact with kids from all parts of North Trenton. Oh, okay. Because there's only one boys' club in North Trenton and one in South Trenton. Okay. And so, so you, you got to meet a lot of kids not only from different ethnic
1: backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, and and, and people actually who became your long lifelong friends because you saw some of these same kids in, in junior high school,
0: right. high school. Right. Right. Now, uh, I read that you went to uh, Trenton Central. High school, and uh, the funny thing about that is, is I at one time I worked for Junior Achievement, and I used to go into Trenton Central. I used to give uh, high. We had a thing called High School Heroes, and they would help us uh, uh, roll out our classes to the elementary uh, students. But so you went to Trenton Central, huh? Yes, that was long.
1: That was back in. I went near '56, graduated
0: '59, so. Then they've torn it down and rebuilt it and i heard it's quite pretty yeah it is it is i, I know when um before i left junior achievement they were just starting to do that and uh, i work now i work for catholic charities and i was down in uh, oh, okay. i was down in trenton and um, you know got a chance to drive drive past. what what road is that again that's on? do you remember what road it is Well,
1: coming out of uh, you, you probably came to us 1
0: yeah, from U.S. 1, right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't become that U.S. 1 because you wouldn't come to Turnpike. It's
0: too far east. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, that would be, definitely wouldn't be that. But yeah, it looks, it looks pretty good. They did a good job. And that was about, probably well, I left Junior Achievement like seven or eight years ago. so. Oh, you know, okay. So it's been built built up since then. Um,
1: yeah, but, you know, the, 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 the town is really Regress simply because of uh, the industrial flight, I guess you might call it. Right. Because Trenton was a large industrial town. Right. And what? if you remember, you, I don't know if you remember ever going across the bridge from Jersey to Pennsylvania in Morrisville. Right. But there was a sign on the bridge that says, Trenton makes the world
0: taste. That's right. And it was in, in reference to the industrial output of. of uh, the main thing being, like, uh,
2: potteries, tremendous potteries. They, they made uh, uh, with the Lennox potteries up there. Oh, okay. And then you had Thiago, the Turbine, De the Laval, They were turbine companies made,
1: made turbines for ships and an American Standard for household things. They had all kinds of, in the eastern part of Trent, you had a lot of space and they had all these big factories. And that was really something that they, if they, when I think it was I was in ninth grade they decided Trenton had so many students at that time about 5,000 students because the the, uh, uh, township schools had Union had been open for a couple years Lawrence hadn't opened yet so so you had kids coming from Lawrence Township and five junior high schools in Trenton and Trenton High was getting overcrowded and they were trying to figure out how to uh, ease some of that burden so they decided to build a vocational school since they had all these factories Right. and it was, it was, it was really was a stroke of genius because the kids now can decide I want to go to automotive or electronic work or carpentry or whatever as opposed to having to sit around and listen to somebody recite Shakespeare
2: and <laughs> <Right. laughs> that that's not exciting but for a lot of people it's not you
0: know and then these kids uh, all of a sudden had a reason to go to school and be excited no, I I think uh, vocational schools are great. I mean, where I live, you know, we have we have the public, you know, high school, but you know, Phillipsburg, and then we had um, Warren Tech, which my oldest son went to, and he took electronics. They had a, you know, they had all this. Like you said, there was, uh, uh, you know, uh, women or or guys could you know learn how to do, uh, you know, cut hair and everything, and there was also. Uh, they, they taught culinary skills and mechan- auto mechanics and, you know, just a lot of things. And, and the junior college was right next to it. So, uh, so it, it, it was good. It kind of, um, you know, they encouraged a lot of the kids that were like in the shops, like electronic or auto, to also get an associate's degree, which was in the, you know, they could do that. While they were going to high school, I guess their senior year, yes. they could pick up, you know, pick up some college credits and everything. But yeah, I well, think it it gave them
1: uh, something uh, because otherwise, when you came out of high school, you, it was either the
0: army or, you know, whatever. Right. You know, but here, you were basically getting some kind of uh,
1: an introduction to whatever uh, field you were interested in. There were a lot of kids that were inter- interested in the arts and the mechanical fields is like mechanical drawing because that was one of the things you know you draw blueprints and things like that and you know you don't get those unless you have some real in ends with the, you know the industry Right. but now you're getting that background in these vocational schools and i think it helped everyone it helped the industry because you, kids came to you now they weren't green they had some 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 kind of uh, background and, and uh you know, who knows how, nobody ever gave any numbers that said what the impact was on the industries around New Jersey. And you know New Jersey from, like, Trenton all the way up to St. Linden was a lot of factories. A lot of factories. Uh,
0: oh, yeah. Oh, that's for sure. Definitely. Um. Let's see. I see that you were, um. you had seven brothers or sisters? So you were oh, from a big thing and two brothers. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's, I meant eight children They were all together that... Uh, yeah, but, yeah. I, but I had
1: a lot of other, like our neighborhood, everybody had big families. So okay. We, we all had, we called play brothers, play sisters, the people you played with, right? Right. And they, they're, they're still
2: friends these days. I mean, yeah. that, that, that's one of the beauties of growing
0: up in, a, in, a, in, a, in here in the city, yeah. is the friendships
1: lasted. They lasted they?
0: they last forever. Now, what what street in Trenton did you grow up on, or what streets? Reservoir Street. Reservoir. Okay, I think I know that. Okay, and uh, do you remember what elementary? I'm just saying this because when I was down there, that was part of my territory. Uh, the elementary school you would have went to. Well, I started at,
1: at uh, Monument with the. the at- intersection
2: of Pennington Avenue and Calhoun Street. Okay. Right. And about mid- midway through to fourth grade, I was transferred over to Cadwallader the school, okay. which is on the west side of town, over by uh, Cadwallo, the park and uh, the river. And right. that was really a, a cultural
1: uh, adventure because that was a totally different neighborhood. Most of the kids I grew up with in, on Reservoir Street, their parents were everyday workers, you right. know, mom and dad. And in some instances, some instances the mom might stay at home and raise the kids. But the dad was up five in the morning going to work. But when I went to uh, the Catawalla,
2: there, a lot of the parents were professionals. Right. And so the dads, at least. So it would give you a different uh,
1: uh, outlook on life. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden you were discussing the today on the Today Show where we didn't even have a television so I don't know <laughs> what the Today Show was <laughs> all about. Yeah. But i think the one, one, one thing that, that, that gave it a lasting impact on my life is we got to someone brought a little
0: TV in. We got to watch the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Oh, wow. How's that? How's That's, that? <laughs> man, so you saw when yeah. she became queen and then... Uh, Yes. She just passed you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now, um, what made you decide to be a baseball player? I mean, did any of your brothers or just playing in the neighborhood, or how did you come about?
1: Every, every, well, we didn't play baseball initially. We played softball.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a haven for for baseball in that area, in a small area, actually. It
1: was a haven for sports. It was a haven for sports. I mean, the only sport we didn't have
0: in the we had the Eagles. We had the Eagles and we had the Giants in New York. Right. Which was which was enough because
1: nobody wanted to go freeze and watch a football game, anyhow.
2: Yeah, yeah. But we had, you know, we had professionals, we had the Warriors in, New, in, in, in Philadelphia, and we
1: had the Knickerbockers in New York. So it was, that was enough, we didn't have the population explosion
0: yet right right now also you um you also played in the uh, police athletic league I read
1: well the police athletic program was one of the uh, youth uh, uh, adjuncts it was kind of like
2: the boys club the boys club had no organized sports outside of the boys club so you'd go to the boys club and you would play uh, table tennis they call ping pong or you'd shoot
1: pool with one of your buddies or you'd play in a a, they had a basketball league, I think, of Thursday nights for kids from 9 to 12. And then the older kids would play later. But uh, that, that, uh, those sports were all confined to the, to the uh, premises of the boys club. Right. Police Athletic League were in neighborhood. They, they had a field, and they, would have a, they had a, a football program, which was, I guess, stuff like Pop Warner. Okay. but i was not a big football fan to begin with i was a basketball guy so i would go to the boys club and play basketball even in the summer you play outdoors right but uh but uh, baseball was my sport and they had a baseball program over there and in the, the little leagues when they started and i think to this day because little leagues were communities only the kids in those communities could play in that little league and so when you went to register you registered as being in that community okay and they would ask you where you were living
2: and that and so forth yeah. and then they would put you in this pot and the, and the managers would draft the managers
1: of course were the merchants that would have different whether it was a dry cleaner or a grocery store or a gas station or whatever and they would they would draft the players based on what they think they need to make a good ball club the beauty of the police athletic league i think we had eight they were all independently managed and independently run, but they were financed by the police athletic organization. And, uh, they, and, and there was no draft. You decided who you, who you wanted to play for. They, they would put ads in the paper. Uh, the, the, the team might try to write up was the Phillies. Okay. And they, they, ironically, they practiced at Trenton Central High School's baseball. It wasn't their athletic field. Trenton Central High School was so big, they had like four fields. Right. And so they were, we we're having tryouts on Saturday. and I would walk over there and try out. So that's what I liked about it, because you could pick where you wanted to play. And, uh, and so that's how I started. I played there when I was 12 years old.
0: Okay. Now, I also read, and I found it really interesting, you used to throw a ball against the wall to build up your arm strength. And the reason I found it interesting is I used to throw... Um, do the same thing, but I did it because there wasn't anybody like my age in the neighborhood. I lived out in Bridgewater and it was still kind of, uh, agricultural. So, uh, to play catch, like, you know, my dad was working two or three jobs and, and there wasn't a lot of kids my age either. They were too old. They didn't want to play with a little kid or they were too little, you know, <laughs> exactly. but, uh, yeah, that, that built up your arm strength, huh? No, that.
1: I didn't throw for arm strength. I threw oh. the ball against the wall to, to create a fantasy game. And, and, and then I would say, okay, here, Duke Snyder's coming up, you know, or Jackie Robinson's coming up, and Warren Spawn is on the mound because they always had to have a left handed pitcher because I was right handed. Right. And then and you throw it on the wall. To you most of the time. Every so often, you you have it. You know, it wouldn't be an error throw, it's just you throw it a little too far left, too far right. Right. But the ball was always in a, in a certain section, and that, that really is what uh, perfected my command in the strike zone because okay. I was always throwing it in these spots where I didn't want the ball to go anywhere. I wanted it to come back to me. Okay. And, uh, and then you said, oh, you know, Pee Wee Reese threw the ground ball the <laughs> <laughs> to Pee Wee throw, Reese and throws over to Gil Hodges. <laughs>
0: You create your own games. I, I'm sure some of the neighbors who lived in that neighborhood and it was next to this factory probably thought I was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, you know, actually, when I used to throw it, I used to, you know, I used to pretend it was games and stuff. And I think I told you I was a Pittsburgh Pirate fan, and uh, okay. they they never lost a game for some reason <laughs> when I played. <laughs> <laughs> now, were you a Dodger fan, it sounds like you were a Dodger fan, mentioning uh, Pee Wee and... and. Uh, no, well,
1: well, well, we were Dodger or Giant fans,
0: we were Nationals okay. fans. Uh, okay. Uh, but you didn't we root for we the Philadelphia teams, or... No, no we did root for the Philadelphia yeah. teams, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> well, it, 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 it,
1: that's a different thing. It, it, Right.
0: yeah, and we didn't see games on television. We didn't have TVs. We listened to games on radio. Okay. Uh, the Dodgers had Jackie Robinson,
1: and, and, and Willie Mays had started
0: with with the Giant Farm team in '50 in Trenton. Yeah. Did you see him? they did, was- did, did, did- would you have seen him play in minors, or? I saw.
1: I, I saw him one game because in order to go to
0: the games, they had what's called a knot hole game. Right. And okay. And that was part of the boys' club organization,
1: and there was like a raffle to go to the game, so you couldn't go to that many games to
0: begin with. So many kids wanted to go. Right. I think I went to one game, but Willie was, was a,
1: a young kid playing center field at that time, I mean, yeah. nobody knew who Willie Mays was. There's a kid
0: Mays playing center field for the Giants, and right. he was only. Oh, he was. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Oh, at that time. Oh, at that time,
1: that was fifty-one. That was fifty. That was
0: fifty. That was fifty. Okay. Yeah, that's 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 right. After after Jackie broke the uh, the racial barrier, it didn't.
1: Jackie, Jackie
0: came Jackie came in at forty-seven. But right. He didn't get there till fifty. But I mean, like you know, there wasn't a lot of teams that, that you know, like there, teams didn't have that many. Uh, you know, players and have co- been integrated inter- at that point. Right, time. right, yeah. So that that was a big deal. Yeah. And
1: and uh, so so that's why we went out, We we followed the the. Uh, I think Monty Irvin might have been in the big leagues
2: at that time. He might have gotten there. And Hank Thompson, the other guy, named Hank Thompson played third yeah. base. But the Dodgers had a lot of guys. Right. <laughs> Jackie. They had Dan Bankhead who was a pitcher, but then he,
0: he was traded, then they had Sam Jethro who was a center fielder, right. and they traded him, I think
1: he went to the, I think he went to Milwaukee or the Cubs.
0: Yeah, he went but to the, the Braves, Dodgers. I'm pretty sure, yeah. The Braves, yeah, so the Dodgers were, were and, 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 and
1: uh, actually Pittsburgh had a lot of players from Latin America, as did the Washington Ball Club, right. they had a lot of players coming of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And so, it was, but but. Teams we heard were the Dodgers and the Giants, that's what we heard
0: on radio, so that, that's what we gravitated towards. You know, it's funny you mention Monty Irvin, because when I went to that banquet, when uh, it was you, Torborg, uh, Gordon, it was also uh, Monty Irvin was there.
1: Yeah, Monty, yeah, Monty was from East Orange.
0: Yeah, yeah was, uh, so you got to know Monty, Monty was- pretty good, right? I got the Nomani Donnucum, yeah. Larry was from Patterson. Right, right. And all those guys were heroes, man. As kids, as kids, we
1: all loved them. And uh, in every magazine, every year, they would have a a, 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 a section devoted
2: to the color players or as we stars and uh, black players in yeah. in, in Major League like Baseball. And, uh, and when they put hometown. I mean, the guys from Jersey. was like, "Hey, that guy's from Jersey." That guy's from <laughs> Jersey. And later, when I sold beer for the sponsor for the uh, Yankees Valentine, Two right. uh, of the uh, guys' at establishments I serviced was uh, Monty er- or, not, or, or Larry Dobies and Don Newcomb. Oh, okay. So, so I got to know them, and then I met Campy
0: through uh, uh, through uh, Elston Howard. Yeah, now can't Campy had a liquor store, I think, also, if I recall.
1: In Harlem, in Harlem, in
0: Harlem right? Okay.
1: And before we go any farther, I'd like to say one thing. Uh, we lost a very dear friend of mine uh, last week, and he, he, and Elston Howard, my mentors, big brothers, you know, father confessors, and it was uh, Hector Lopez.
0: I was just going to say. I thought I, I was pretty sure you were going to say Hector Lopez. I mean. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And when I first came to the big leagues in '61,
1: they I was like their little boy. And then, yeah. they, they, and then you follow, you follow, you you know, watch what we do, do what we do. You right. know, you run around here with these knuckleheads. Right. And just set the ground rules of what it's like to be a major league ball player. You know, on and off the field. You know, socially, how you handle yourselves, how you, you know, dressed and. and right.
0: was wonderful i mean you know when i first yes they were they were you're absolutely correct they definitely were um you know what i wanted to go to because one of the big thing and when i talked to george case he had uh mentioned he said well you know in 1956 he he pitched that babe roof championship game how about telling us a little bit about that yeah, yeah, actually, I pitched the first game and the third game. Okay. The first game we, we played we played in Portland, Oregon, and uh, uh, I don't know if you know Mickey Lowledge. Oh, that. yeah, I know Mickey Lowledge. Well, I know who he is. <laughs> That's
1: Mickey's hometown, right? Okay. So, so, the, so the so the headline when Trenton was coming was, is Downing going to pitch against Lowledge, right? So, <laughs> So I pitched the first game for my team, and he pitched the first game for his team. Well, we played Pensacola, and, I, and Pensacola had us beaten till the last inning, and then Jerry Chmielewski, our shortstop, got a base hit, and uh, that won the game for us. So when we played the second game, we were playing against Portland, Well, neither
0: Mickey nor I could pitch against one another.
1: So we, I think we both were first basemen also. But we, we reminisced about that later yeah. on. But. Uh, That was a tremendous experience. And uh, socially,
2: culturally, because what happened is the sponsor of the Babe Ruth League at that time uh, was uh, Coca-Cola. And Coca-Cola had a new product out, which was a
1: 16-ounce bottle. A 16-ounce
2: bottle of Coca-Cola to knock you out, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's sweet. There's so much sugar in it, right? Right. So, so,
1: So what they did was they say, okay, your team has won with the Middle Atlantic State Tournament, all those teams down to West Virginia and up, up to uh, Connecticut. And we had won that tournament, actually won it, won it the first year, the second, we, we lost, in 55, we lost in the finals in the uh, Middle Atlantic State Championship, but 56, we won. And our prize was to go to Portland, Oregon. And so we thought we are going to get on an airplane. Well, they said, no, you go down, you get on a bus, you get on to get on a train, Station in Trenton. And oh, so we boy. took a train and the train took us out. And this is where the adventure started. It took us down to Philadelphia, took us up through Pennsylvania, out what they call something called, called Horseshoe. There's a place they call Horseshoe Bend. I don't know if you've ever been
0: up there. Oh yeah. Yeah. But you've been there where you could sit in you could sit in the train, in the front part of the train, you could see the rear of the train, the caboose come around the bend. And <laughs> that was that
1: was like, oh, where are you These kids, at that time, there were probably two teams on it. But when we got to Chicago, then we picked up, like, three teams coming up from the southeast. And they called that that road we were taking, they called it the Milwaukee Road. And we took that out over the the Dakotas and the Badlands and all that area. And that was a a history lesson in itself. And I was a big history buff to begin with. And I I thought that was the highlight of it. I mean, the game was great, but that was, like... that was great because how many kids got an opportunity to do that at, at 15 years of age on a train where
2: you really? basically saw these towns when you stopped to fuel or get some more coal or whatever you had to do. The train stopped and, you know, you're right in the middle of the town, right? You
1: know, and you and you sat in the car and you watched and you had to, you, you know, everybody had to have a, a boat mate or a, a, a cabin mate and all the kids ate in the same dining room. And at night, because they had these sky cars, we'd go up to the sky cars, and they had the roofs were like glass. Right. three cars. And you could look up and see the stars. I mean, like, oh, my God, this is great, you know? Hmm?
0: How long a trip was that? I mean, you went across the whole country. I mean... Oh, it took us about three days. Oh. It took us about two or three
1: days. Three days, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, from all the way across the country, we came in through... Uh,
2: uh, s- s- Seattle and then came down from Seattle to Portland. Okay. And then when we came home, we
1: reversed and went back to the
0: same way we thought we were going to fly home. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to get on a plane, <laughs> huh? <laughs> well, well, you know, you, 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 we won. Are we going to fly home? No, yeah. we're going to go
2: back this way. You know? <laughs> well, it was good, though, we, we, yeah. because it was, there's so much
1: camaraderie that was developed.
2: Yeah. <laughs> on uh, that trip. Mm. And then that.
1: They had. They were taking day trips around that area and going up to the salt flats and going up to watch the salmon come up, up
2: river to go spawn and go up to the mountains. Oh wow! And, and I mean, you know, we never. You know, that's some
0: something people do on a vacation now. You know, right? Like you're doing it as a young kid. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, when you were in high school, oh, you had mentioned this to me before. Tell me a little bit about the uh, North South All Star game when you were in high school at Roosevelt Stadium. Well,
1: before I go
0: there, we're going to talk uh-huh. about this big movie. Let's off. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, so we, we, lost, we won the first game against Pensacola. Right. And the second game, we are going to play against Portland. And
1: that's Mickey's team. And they were good. They were very good, too. And we said, who? pitch. Well, our team was chosen that the way it was put together and when some of us get together, we said, you know, we were good because everybody on our team could pitch. It was probably maybe one or two guys who was the best pitcher on the team he, he came from because you had a representative of each one of the eight teams in our league. And so everybody was a good pitcher. Everybody was a good fielder. And, and, and what we practiced were the, the fundamentals, bunting, throwing, fielding, catching, and hitting the ball throwing to, to the right bases, And so we couldn't figure out who was going to pitch. it. we had about three or four guys and then we decided on this kid, Ritter, Dick Ritter. Okay. And I had played basketball with Dick in the 11 and 13-year-old league. His dad was our coach, right? We played on like Saturday mornings. And I, I had known him since we were like 10, 11 years old. So it was great. So Dick's going to pitch, okay. And Dick pitched and what people would say, well, well, too bad we don't get to see down anymore. Well, Dick pitched a shutout against the, this was supposed to have been the best team
2: in the, uh, this, and we were supposed to be second best team. He beat the best team. He shut them out six nothing. Wow. And I still say that was the best pitch game of the whole, of the whole, whole uh, uh, series. Okay. Because remember, we weren't supposed to beat them. And uh, here we go, we go. We beat them, and, uh, and that was kind of, you know kind of pushed brushed aside
1: because it was the next game we pitched, we played against uh, the team from Huntington Park. The, uh, and, and I beat them one nothing, but they people, everybody said, "Oh, that was Downey a one nothing game and beat the rest yeah, But we don't win that game
2: against Portland, we don't we don't get here, you know. Right. So, so that was and and that, I think that brought us even closer together because it made everybody realize how important each guy on that team was. Right.
0: And so. Oh, well, that's. So unfortunately, there's only six, six. I think six of us left now. Oh, <laughs> that's really? Life. that's life. Yeah. So you kept in touch with your, your old team- teammates from, from well, that Jimmy, baby? Well, te-
1: Jerry Shomaleski is the historian.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. That, and tells you, hey, okay,
1: Al, this is what's going on.
0: <laughs> 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 in fact, I think one of his sons went to Rutgers. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe both of them had might have gone to Rutgers, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Now, how about uh, how about that North-South game? I'm real interested in yeah, hearing about that, it. That 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 game was
1: a game that was uh, devised by
0: the uh, New Star Ledger, I think it was. Okay. And the basically, they, they we
1: played at uh, the Jersey City Stadium, Roseville Stadium.
0: Right. And we, that was
1: the, that was the Giant tripway team. And 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 when the Giants decided to go to San Francisco, they. I forget, the second one I think was El Paso or I think it was El Paso was their second football team, well anyhow, so that stadium was vacant and there were rumors
2: that uh, the Dodgers were going to take it, but then the Dodgers went, remember they went to California also, right?
0: Oh yeah! You How know, right. hard to get the sports pages of the New York Times. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and our, our games weren't so. So yeah, we got to show them, you know. Yeah. But so that was that was a heck of a game. I mean, you met some nice guys there, but everybody at that time was like seventeen on the way to college, man. And you know, you met guys you probably never saw them again in your life, but you were you were aware of who they were. Right. Now is this where Bill Yancey saw you, the scout? Did no, he? That's Bible and baseball—they sure. used to call it, right?
1: They were—they were considered to be the best high school team in the country at that time. They had two brothers,
0: the Haynes twins. Okay. And,
1: uh, uh, and they were—I think they had one—they were at one loss, and they were undefeated. And I came and released them. In fact, the fellow I relieved, Colopar,
2: he went—he went to school with George Case. They were in the same class. Oh, okay. Charlie Colopar. Would you talk to George? at, at they bring up Charlie Charlie color Park. Okay. And okay. Jeff Duerbord was a third of that the three amigos you know, <laughs> that team too. So, so so we
1: had a lot of, we had a lot of great talent in Jersey and and, and a lot of them went to Rutgers or other schools. But Rutgers could've had all of them if they played the cards right, but there's some
2: reason they chose not to and they could have been a big power in baseball, football and basketball. Right. But Yeah. Jersey. But no, so, so yes, he saw me at 58, then he saw me
1: again at 59. And uh, he, he liked me at 58, but I was too young. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. a junior. And at 59, he said, Well, I'm going to give you my card now, you can give it to your
0: dad. <laughs> so that was good. Yeah, because yeah, he, was, he was quite a ball player. I mean, he played in the old uh, Negro Leagues, right?
1: he not only played the old Negro League, I think, I don't know if I ever mentioned to, he was also a basketball player with a Harlem Reds. Oh, yeah. Like, he was like the, he was like their point guard. Okay. So Bill, Bill, was a, Bill was
2: a legend in Harlem. Yeah. He had told me, and his wife, his wife had, he met his wife, she was a dancer at the Cotton Club. Oh, um, really? So when I, I was at their house one time, they lived in Morristown, and he said, you know
0: how, he, after I had he said, when you get to New York, and he didn't, there was no, and this was like I'd signed in November, so this might have been in January before I'd even go to spring training for the minor league team. Right. He says, whenever you get up to New York and Harlem, he says, and he says, everybody knows me up there, so. Oh, okay. he, he says, I'm, we, we, a mom, his wife's name was Louise.
1: Well, Louise and I are going to come up and we're going to take you around Harlem and take you out to dinner. Okay. and I'm thinking oh yeah well I, I, I got there in July and they was true to their word they came up to Harlem and, uh, and uh, took me out to dinner
0: wow that, that must have been a treat that must have been you know because how old are you you were what like 18 years old I mean to no so I had just turned 20 oh okay so you I were just, 20 I, I just yeah I, I was called up to the big leagues two weeks after my 20th birthday I see and uh place they
1: took us was called the Red Rooster, one of the big places up there. Okay. And uh, it was a Monday night, and they had a, uh, a what do you call them, guy. Because Mondays were always on off days for, for the uh, major league. But most teams, that was like a travel day. Right. And so, so they came up, and we go to the Red Rooster. And uh, I don't know how, why, or how, how, why they were so packed on Monday night, maybe. said, so, oh, I know why. We had played an exhibition game against the Giants. Okay. And I pitched that game. I pitched like six innings of that game. And I pitched against Wooly.
0: And that's it. was there, Cepeda was there, Bill White was there, wow. Covey was
1: there. Oh, they were they were loaded. They got they were loaded. Remember, they won the next year. Oh yeah, 1962,
0: right? 1962. Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow,
1: so I pitched I pitched that exhibition game against a guy named Bobby Bowling and so. Oh yeah, Bobby Bowling. So, uh, Was televised locally, but nowhere else, and and uh, and, uh, and the Yankee Stadium had its own studio so that you didn't have to worry about traffic, heavy traffic, trucks, and things like that. Right. And so we go to the Red Rooster, and you park the car, and we go up to the door, and we got this
0: guy in the top hat and tails, right? Right. <laughs> so wow. I mean,
1: Yeah. Stage, but <laughs> I said, well, well, I know where I stand. <laughs> yeah, right?
0: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Now, um, before uh, before you went up to the pro, you, you went to Muhlenberg College, and that's out by me. Went to Muhlenberg College?
1: Yes, it's down the road.
0: Yeah. in Allentown. Yeah, in Allentown, about 20 minutes away from where I live. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I went there and played basketball. Well, I played basketball my freshman year. I went to Muhlenburg College because the choices I had were Muhlenberg Colby, or you know, Colby Colleges. Yeah. Okay. In Colby, Maine. Right. Right. It's not the. Col- it's not. It's not the Colby that John Denver stands. That you think about. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Although I like. I like that song, Colby County. Yeah. it it It's in. It's in Maine. Okay. And, and the coach up there had been a high school coach
2: in uh, New Jersey, I think, Inglewood Cliffs. Oh, and he, okay. had gone up to Col- he had gone up to Colby College, a guy named John Winkin. He had gone up to Colby
1: College, I think it was somewhere around 56 or 57. So when, when, uh, 57. So when I, and, and, and see, we had played against teams from up in that area, but we had never played Inglewood but he was aware of, of who I was. Right. And so he, he, he actually had written me a letter says, I'm John Winkin and I'm up at Colby College and I coached D'Ingo Pliss and I, I want to know if you'd be interested in coming to our school. And, 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 he, and he showed me the prospectus and the set of prospects and everything. And I started reading it and everything. I started thinking about Maine, Maine, Maine. you know I said, mm-hmm. it's cold in Maine, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was, The deciding factor was, he said, I would like to have you come up here, he said, and and that was one of the little schools, like, is Bates, Bowdoin, Maine, Amherst, they're like, called the little Ivy League schools up there, right? Right. They're very, very good schools academically, but the problem we have is every spring, we take a two-week trip down to the south, and you wouldn't be able to play with it. Um. Oh, have to either. Leave you up here because I couldn't even stay in a hotel with him. Right. And, uh, so, you know, if you were to, you know, come up here,
2: you would not be able to make that trip. Now, if I didn't have any uh, interest, I would have probably said, okay, I'll stay at school and study. Right. Get me
0: when you come back, right? Right. But I said, no, I don't think it's
2: a good idea. So, So that was one. And then there's Penn State, Indiana, Colby, and, uh, and Middleburg. Okay. And so the guy who at the time was named Red Smith was the head of, uh, in scholastic recreation in Jersey. Right. And he, he said, I can get you in the Mulberry. And I said, okay, he's
1: my high school baseball coach. So I got the Mulberry. Yes, I got the Muhlenberg out But I was a basketball player.
0: Okay. And, uh, who were you guys called? The Greyhounds? Were you the Greyhounds? Muhlenberg is after the mules, the mules. Oh, the mules. Okay, I'm gonna where i Oh, Moravian. I think Moravian was the Moravian Greyhound. Moravian was the Greyhound.
1: Yeah. But that's where Ritter went. Ritter went to school in Moravian.
0: Oh, Moravian's okay.
1: They're ready nothing. But but
0: see, yeah.
1: Albright and Moravian, I think, were both ready. But but see, the one thing about Muhlenberg, that whole area up in Northwest, I think
0: you know, is wrestling. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, the, my my son wrestled. Yeah. I know yes. Phillipsburg and Easton, and yeah, yes. all those and guys. A lot of kids from North Jersey up in that area, and they had wrestlers big time, man. Right. And so, and even bigger than football. And yeah. so, so, you know, basketball, and, and basketball has been good, but what had happened is they stopped recruiting kids, because they were getting a lot of kids from from uh,
1: New York, right. and then you know you had a lot of problems in New York with the gamblers and things like that. And I think that, that could have put put a bam blanket on that, but we they weren't getting those kids anymore. So so we had we had one kid from Philly, I had another kid from Trenton, his kid Hoffman, he had gone to Trenton High School, and then we had a kid from uh, Somerville, New Jersey. Well that's
0: Somerville. that's where I was born. I was born in Somerville. Somerville? Yep. Okay. Yep. Nineteen fifty seven.
1: Oh, yeah, it was actually my junior year in high school. Whoa, okay. Well, well, well there was, actually it was my sophomore, Kieker, who I finished up, but, they, but my roommate was from Altoona, Pennsylvania, so we were like a, good, good, you know, but my roommate didn't like it for a number of reasons, but that was, that was only the second
2: class though that was integrated, that, that was, that was co-ed at Muleburg, okay. when,
1: when I went up there.
2: That okay. was, we were in the third class. That was
1: that was uh, uh co ed. Yeah. So you didn't have that many women up there
2: and there were no black girls up there. Oh, <laughs> <So geez. laughs> I, I can't he came all the way from Altoona, he was from up in the hills. He's a hey, Roomy, I can't stay here. I'm going to he went to cooking because he had a, he had a, a scholarship to play football down there. Right. And uh that's where he went. And uh, he, yeah. he sent me a letter, You should come down here, man, we're on the beach in Daytona Beach, you'll love it.
0: Mm. <laughs> so I'm not happy right where I am. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you uh, when you got in the majors, you were um, you were compared with uh, Sandy Colfax, I guess, because you both were lefties and you threw hard, or? No, I was never compared with Oh, he wasn't? Okay. Well, somebody's lying then. <laughs> I,
1: I, I, was, I was considered to be another
0: left who threw hard. And oh, okay. But, but, but actually,
1: in those days, every lefty hander threw hard. In fact, the right-handers were the ones who could get
2: by throwing these what we call, I call, trick pitches. Right? right. I mean, nobody threw a split-finger pitch. The only guy who threw a split finger
0: in those days we call it a fork ball was was Elroy Face from your, your team. Oh yeah, I know. I met Elroy. That, yeah. that, that was his. That was his primary pitch, a fork ball. Yep. Right. Yep. That's and, for sure. And, and see, nobody threw that pitch, but Elroy. Yep. And, and, Dirt. Right. But he got
1: a lot of success
0: with it. Oh. But but the right handers excuse me right handers can get by
1: throwing a lot of curveballs. Left handers mm-hmm. you had to have a good fastball. Yeah.
0: And now that's it's one a, of the reasons they. Well, I was going to say it's the opposite almost, almost now because they, they I hear the expression a crafty lefty. You know, um, you know. Well, they, I was I was crafty lefty when I was in high school. Okay. But I started throwing
1: I started throwing harder in Binghamton because I. I started playing ball every day, and then the had, had told me that. He said,
0: You're going to get stronger. Right. He said, Because you're going to be playing, you're going to be playing catch every
1: day. You know, when you're in high school, you play catch when you play the game. Right. You know, you know, when you're a kid, you play it every day,
2: but you're playing with a rubber ball probably. Right. But now you're playing with a hard ball every day. You're playing catch You're hitting the ball every day, so you're going to start getting bigger and stronger. You're going to eat better. Yeah. And he was absolutely right. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, that was, that's where having a good mentor, good, you know, yeah, when you're signed, he prepared you for what you're going to face, right. and don't be don't be surprised when your body is going to kind of rebel a little bit because it's not accustomed to all that exercise. But for the yeah. first uh, probably months I was there, I was pitching a lot, and so yeah. I got a little a little tenderness in
1: my in my forearm, and I they sent me to the hospital. The guy said, "No, nah, there's nothing wrong." He says, "What you got to do is you got to take some of this blueberry <laughs> oh, your arm, because they put me on a oh, they put me on a ten day disabled list, which gave me a chance for my arm to kind of get over that. That it actually was it was tired, right? And so it, it wasn't that I couldn't throw; it's just that it was just ached. And then uh, after that, and just stretching and and, and squeezing the rubber ball, I came back, and after four more starts, they called me up to the Yankees. Wow.
0: Now, uh, what about that first start in '63 when you pitched against the Senators? I mean, you had a complete game shutout. Oh, that was '61. Oh, six- oh, 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 well, no, my first game was '61. Right, but what about that? Oh, okay, the, what what about that game that you pitched a game against the Senators that you had like nine strikeouts and you did that a was show- 63. That was '63.
1: That was '63.
0: Okay, that's the one I was thinking of. Okay, remember '61? I, I came up
1: in July and I, I was. Set. The World Series. Okay. 62 in the first part of '63. I was in Richmond.
0: Oh, okay. And I came up in June of '63, and I, I pitched 175 innings that year. Wow. And coming
1: up in coming up June 6th, I pitched 175 innings. And the first game I pitched actually was in what, what they called at that time the Robert F. Kennedy Stadium. Right. And uh, they called the DC Stadium. They renamed the Robert F.
0: Kennedy right. Stadium, but. Right. Uh,
1: Okay. But when but when 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 Yogi took over as manager in sixty four and they introduced him as the new manager of the Yankees in nineteen sixty four, he says all pretending to be pretty good. You know, Whitey's coming back and Ralph Terry's coming back and
2: Stafford and Sheldon. And of course Downey. Downey won thirteen games last year in half a season. He should win twenty six this year. Right.
1: <laughs> I read that and think oh boy. <laughs> But he was serious Because he caught me in about half no start yeah. so In his mind was my stuff and the, and the command I had of my stuff Because I was I was like Totally different Than the person Who had come up in 61 I was all over the place You know Yeah I was just saying Wild as a march here 63 <laughs> I Mm-hmm. And he was totally he was serious. He was serious. But see, Yogi was, he didn't say things just haphazardly. He, he,
0: he thinks about... Right, right. Absolutely. Um, Let's see. Uh, okay, you, so you went, to, did you, I, I, I didn't look it up, but you, you pitched in the uh, 63 series when you guys... Oh, against Johnny Padres, okay
1: Yankee Stadium, Yankee Stadium, yeah
0: Okay, and how did, how did and that That
1: was a serious, they, they swept us
0: Yeah, But and you yeah, guys they, won like they, 100 and some games, right? 104 games or something?
1: We, wanted, you know, we hit like 240 home runs we, 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 had a, we had a hell of a ball club Oh, yeah But, but Okay Their ball club was built on power pitching We didn't have that many power pitchers in our league the okay. Power of pitchers gave us trouble. All right. They should, they beat us, but but the last two games, the scores were two to one and one nothing. And those are the two games we played. They beat us in Dodger Stadium because they—they beat us the first two games in, in the Yankee Stadium, then the next two games in Dodger Stadium. But we—I mean, I, I my own self, When I talk to some guys, we believe firmly believe that had we played that that uh, series a week later, maybe. Or a week earlier, you no, know, we might have gone seven games because we did
2: have a good ball club. We had a heck of a ball club. Oh yeah. But uh, they just, uh then they had gone
1: up to the to the wire because they, I think they beat the the game the Giants lost in a playoff or something. Oh like that. yeah, the right. playoff, it was,
0: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So
1: One, two. so that would have been our fifth straight world, fourth straight World Series and uh, and so you know we went against, went against the next year
0: but I mean right. but, but that's to be shut down like that but I think a lot of teams looked at it like oh that's how you beat the Yankees you have power against them you can't mess them right right well I
1: mean pa- Padres wasn't a power pitcher though right wasn't he uh... he could
0: throw pretty hard oh he, he could throw hard him. John could still throw pretty hard. Yeah, well, according
2: to today's standards, he'd be throwing in the 90s. Yeah. Okay. The ball. Plus, he
1: had a great curveball. Okay. And remember also, in those days, it was not unusual that when a pitcher was pitching well, especially in, a, in when there was no playoffs, it's
2: just the World Series. Right. You had everybody in the bullpen. So therefore, you could let,
0: I think John pitched seven innings, six, seven innings. Wow. That's all he pitched.
1: Because they, that was their strength, the
0: bullpen. Yeah, who was in the bullpen for the Dodgers in the, in the 60s? I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I have no yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah. Was, so. it was, was it something I can serve? Oh, Peronofsky oh. was there. Pernosky oh, Peronofsky. Okay, that's, yeah. Okay. Pernosky. Yeah. I now, think Regan, Regan would
1: have been there. He, he might have left it for, he might have, Bill Regan
0: might have been there. Also. Yeah, the vulture, right? They called I, him the vulture. Oh, oh
1: hey, Sherry, Larry
0: Larry was there. Wow. You name some bud. Larry Husky, yeah. Okay. They
1: Both those guys too
0: hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, when you were with the Yankees, was Johnny, Johnny Sane your pitching coach? Was he ever your pitching
1: Johnny p- was my pitching coach, 61, 62,
0: and 63. He left after the
1: 63 season and went to Minnesota.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. It had very profound impact on my career. Did you? Yes. I, okay. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that... Um, you know, a lot of the people that I've I've read you know read about, they said the same thing. I mean, and every place he went, I mean, like, uh, well, Bouton liked him, Denny McLean liked him. Uh, There's just a lot of people said that uh, he he really knew knew pitching. I guess.
1: Well, he knew he, he he was willing to listen to pitchers. A lot of people don't listen to pitchers. A lot of, you get a lot of pitching coaches, a lot of managers says, don't let that pitcher tell you. You know, or tell the catcher, you call the signs, you call the game, don't let that pitcher call his own game. And, I mean, it's almost like they have no faith in what we do, even though we know better than them what's doing, what's working, right?
0: Right. I mean,
1: we might, we might hang a curveball, but we all, we, we're the first ones to know we hung a curveball. Right. The pitch, we're going to make it better, yeah. So, but uh, the one thing about Johnny was he was the ultimate uh, optimist. And he always
0: believed, he said, look, there's no such thing as a bad pitch. It's just a bad execution of the pitch right. that causes you to have problems. And he was absolutely right. I mean, you saw the other day when uh, Alvarez hit that home run. Yeah. He didn't mean to throw that pitch. Where he didn't mean to throw that pitch. Where he was through it, he, he probably meant to throw it about six inches higher. Right. Which you know, uh, those three inches
1: added up to about 450 feet. <laughs> so, so, I mean, so that, that that's the difference in pitching, and, and we know when it's a bad. Get away with a lot of bad pitches, and, and but a pitcher does not r- lament the fact that it was a bad pitch and the guy fouled it back. What he will lament is who was the guy who fouled it back. Because the guy who fouled his back is, a, is Alvarez. You got to worry because that means he was right on your pitch. Right. You know, if a shortstop and fouls it back
2: and the guy can't hit the ball to the warning track, you don't worry about him. Oh yeah, I'll throw yeah. that pitch again. He can't, he can't, he can't get around those. That would be your, your reaction. Yeah. But, you, you know, those those are the things that causes problems for a lot of managers because if a manager hadn't been a pitcher, he can't relate to that. Right. He, he just says,
1: why are you throwing those pitches in that place? But I, I, re, I still remain adamant about the fact that the most difficult pitch in baseball to hit, even for a good hitter, is the letter-high fastball. Because nobody sets up to hit a letter high fastball. You watch yeah. a hitter when he's taking his practice swings, they're always from down and up. Down yeah. and up. Well, that yeah. means you have to intersect the ball somewhere. And if a guy throws you a letter high fastball, by the time you intersect the ball, the ball is even with you. You're not yeah. going to put that ball in play. As we say, well, you're not going to barrel up that ball. You know, you might hit it off the end of the bat or something. That, that's one of the problems when I'd watch a Judge. When they started pitching to him with two strikes, everything was above the letters because they knew he was
0: looking for stuff down. Right, right. Absolutely. Now, what about the, uh, you had a pretty good year in 1964. I mean, you led the league in strikeouts, right, in 64?
1: I had had a good year. I should have had a better year.
0: I should have had a better year. Why do you think you should have had a better year?
2: Rather than, rather than setting batters up, knowing who you can strike out is, is more important than striking people out. And right. once in a while, you'll strike out certain guys, but then when they make the adjustment, you better be ahead of them, making right. your adjustment. Right. And I hadn't learned how to make that adjustment yet. So I was, I was thinking I got a guy two strikes, I'm gonna bust him with, with a fastball. Well, you can bust him with a fastball, but where are you gonna throw it? Right. So
1: what, side, what what part of the strike zone are you gonna throw this pitch? You don't just throw it down the middle. So you're going to give up a lot of two strike hits or a lot of uh, uh, two strike home runs, but but you're going to you're going to make a lot of extra pitches. And I was making a lot of extra pitches early in the count, and I was making a lot of extra pitches early in the game. And what would happen is, in those days, you didn't, as long as you had the lead, you didn't come out of the game. Right. I mean, I lost, I think I lost three three games that year where guys hit the ball off the foul pole and won the game. I mean, how how often do you see
2: that happen? Right. So yeah. Yeah, guys the Baltimore, eh, uh that this game's over. <laughs> I Felix Mantilla,
1: Floyd Robinson and and which is there, Helmer and uh Helmut all three of them all hit Apple you, bing bing. Wow. Wow, Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah I'm a snake bit. But no, that was that but that was a good learning lesson. That was a good lesson. Yeah, and that was the type of lesson you take home with you and you think about it all winter. You 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 go, Oh man, Mm-hmm. If you go out, and I, would, I wasn't playing a lot of golf in those days, but I would go out and hit balls, and I would always
2: concentrate on thinking about, you know, what am I going to do next year when I get into those situations? Right. And the thing you do is you learn how to move the ball around in strike zone more frequently.
0: And the guys, you know you can get out. You get them out. You don't mess around with them. Yeah. You don't try to, you know,
1: throw some trick pitches.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, do you size up the batter knowing where you can... You can pitch him like, for instance, uh, uh, you know that somebody is, uh, you know, busting him inside. I mean, he can't. You know, he can't get a handle on that, or or pick. I remember. You know, it used to be like when I was in high school. I mean, all our you know our, our coaches would have us low and away. It was like that's that was the thing. That's but then again, these coaches didn't know anything about pitching. You didn't have a pitching coach, uh, you know. But didn't have metal bats either. Didn't have metal bats. well, yeah, we didn't have metal bats either. Now you and, know, and
1: low and away, you could break a guy's bat. You know, needed a bat. That's
0: for sure. You know? Yeah, and, 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 and today. Look at the pitching chart. If you look at almost every batter that comes up today, when you next time you watch a game, watch that batter take his practice swing. Okay. And watch the arc of his bat when he takes his practice swing.
1: That—that's his swing. That—that—that that, that tells you when you see where that barrel goes, that's where he's looking to hit that ball.
0: He's—he's he's already anticipating. When I get a ball in that section, I'm going to hammer it, right? Right. Well, as a pitcher,
1: that's the one thing you watch. And another thing I used to always do a lot of guys didn't like it. You go up to the cage and talk to guys before they say, they told you don't fraternize with the players. Hey man, what kind of bat do you use? You know, I had a bat like that when I was a kid, you know, and you hmm. just wanted to
2: see what kind of grip, what, what was the handle like, was it thin or thick or right. what, what the barrel was like? Because that, that too played into, right. factor into how you're going to pitch to the guy. Right. If a guy had a very thin handle, you could jam him probably. Right. With a jammer guy, and I learned this from my batting coach at the time, Wally Moses. Oh, you, you pitch him right on his knuckles, and okay. you know, you, and then you you break. That's how you break a bat. You know? But now you can't break bat. You know? Yeah. You, you can break them, but I mean, guys don't want to pitch in because they're afraid the
1: guys go, ah, you try to hit the guys. Well, you should have got like Bob Gibson said He should have gotten out of the way.
0: Right, 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 right. <laughs> well, you know, you talk about <laughs> Bob Gibson. The first when I. F- first fell in love with baseball was 1964 and it was the world series because i would have been what i would have been seven years old i guess and i remember all the big kids on the bus would be talking about the yankees and the cardinals and the world series and you know i had played like you know, t ball or minor league and stuff. So I knew I knew about the game, but I didn't really get into watching the game and I'm like, "Well, I better go home and watch watch this uh, World Series and, you know, cuz I want to, you know, I wanted to be cool like the big guys and uh yeah. you know. You were there. You were there. I mean, I mean I was there. Yeah, I, yeah. Pitched, I pitched game 4. Okay. Who was who pitched against you for St. Louis? Do you remember? Or? Uh, Ray Sudecki. Now, did he throw hard? He was a lefty. Was he? Did he throw he the ball threw hard.
1: Ray, Ray, Ray threw hard? Ray threw hard. Ray threw hard. Ray, yeah. Ray didn't get it out.
0: Oh, no. Okay. We
1: knocked Ray out of the game in the first inning,
0: and we had three runs. Oh, okay. You
1: know how many hits we got the rest of that game? Uh, no. You know
0: how many runs we got the rest of that game? None. Oh. Even
1: with that... Roger... Roger Craig and Ron Taylor—I forget the third
0: pitcher who came in—shut wow shut us down, like choo, 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 just like that. Wow! Yeah, that was some—that was some series and stuff. A uh, lot of hall, a lot of Hall of Famers on both teams. I mean, that was. uh Well, well yeah, and, and, and the big, the big inning was our—I think it was our
1: sixth inning—because we had them three nothing, still three nothing game. They had men middle of first and second and one out.
2: The ground ball, I
0: think it's
1: a shortstop. Right. The ball was bobbled. We didn't get the double play. Okay. Ken
0: Boyer comes up, I throw him a pitch, he hit the home run. Oh, right, right. So all
1: the scoring in that World Series, in that game was in two innings. First inning and the sixth
0: inning. Wow. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: and that's another pitch I, I I I go over in my mind.
0: What the one you threw to Ken Boyer? Yeah, I try. I try to get fancy. Not fancy. I try to more or less change my delivery to make him think it was a fastball, but it was a changeup. Okay. And uh, he, he changed up on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm go, I'm gonna probably. Uh, I, I'm gonna have to head off for work in a little while. But I want to ask you some questions about. Uh, uh, yeah because i'm working like one to eight you know uh yeah yeah but i wanted to ask you about some of uh the people you played with and just get your impressions okay now i know you had mentioned before uh about whitey Ford. what 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 can you tell me i mean whitey was uh he helped you out right is with your pitching or you
1: well, okay, Whitey, Whitey, Whitey was our star pitcher from 61
0: to 64. He is our star pitcher. Okay.
1: 64, he also became the pitching coach
0: for Yogi. Okay. So I, I think that
1: took a little of his attention away from his pitching. Because Whitey was still our ace pitcher. Right. I mean, and everybody and knew this, just like Mickey
2: was still our best player, right? Right. And so, but Whitey never tried to let you know. He never big leaked you. Right. You know, he he would all, he would always say, "How you doing? How you feeling? How's your arm?" He never, never second guess. Really, not even talking about pitching. But because mm-hmm. Wrighty was the type of guy you watched, and you watch what he did. Yeah. Everything he did was is minimal in, in expended energy. It was like you get on the mound, you throw the ball, boom, you go walk to the dugout. Mm-hmm. Get your glove, you go back to the mound, boom, you throw the ball. And, and it wasn't like guys stomping around a mound and you know, and scraping their feet can't get a grip or whatever. He, he was he was all business out there, and, and that's the way I pitched. to people I said, "Why are you so methodical out there?" I said, "Hey, this is what I've learned. That this is what I see the best in the game doing. So it, it must be working, you know." Right, right. So, you know, Yes, and plus, he, he, was, he was he was the kind of guy he would talk to you about things that hey, you've
1: seen any good movies. you you, you got to go see this movie. you got to go see that movie. Mm-hmm. you got to go see this show. you got to watch yeah. this show. And it's just nice, you know, or you go to this restaurant. You ever go to this restaurant? You should go to this restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, 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 and that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, it, you know, I don't know if you get that... Or not. I mean, you know,
2: it's your class, it's your teammate. I remember he, we, we, one time he says to me, he was sixty-five. He says, uh, we're we're in Detroit, and right. it, was, it was kind of dreary, one of those dreary days. And, but in Detroit, you never know; it could clear up in, in a minute. Right. And he says, he says, where do you where do you eat when you're there? Because he knew that you know, after you
1: eat breakfast, you know, there's you know, you don't you know, go back down to the dining room. And some guys would go out to coffee shop, stuff. I don't know. He said, there's a good place called. I think
2: it goes Carl's Steakhouse. It was. I think it's steakhouse. He used to go over there sometimes. He had the T-bones. I are still oh, good, so I go over there one mm-hmm. day and, the, and it's in the middle of the day, and the, and the, and the guy says, "Oh yeah, Whitey's in the back. Why don't you join him?" He says he he's <laughs> back there, going through his steak.
1: Come sit down. we will talk, you know. <laughs> but but just, the, just the class, just the teammate, not a guy trying to stay. You can't, you can eat with me. I'm Whitey
0: Ford. You know, right. Now, he was the definition, like what I was saying about a crafty lefty, right? I mean, he...
1: White yeah, threw, pretty good.
0: He yeah. He threw pretty good. Yeah.
1: He was sneaky.
0: That's was, what I mean, yeah, he, he was... was, he, was <laughs> he would be a, But he had good breaking pitches, good, good
2: curveball. Right. And, and he threw a cutter. He threw a cutter. He learned how to throw a cutter. Okay. So guy's looking for his curveball, he'd throw a cutter and break your back. Bingo, you know. Yeah. And, uh, the,
1: the, one of those pitches like that, But but, but all of his games—if you look at all of his games—I doubt if any of his
0: games were ever over two hours because that's what he pitched. Yeah, he, he didn't wait wait for the batter at all. Right, right. Yeah. And a first class individual, without a doubt. Yeah. Now how about how about Mickey Mantle? What can you say Mickey about Mickey was first player?
1: But M- Mickey, everybody understood Mickey was. Mickey
0: was like he was he was head of the pack, right? Right. And you didn't you knew the pressures he was under. But yeah. he never said, I wish these guys would leave me alone. He would get on the bus,
1: when we were going to the ballpark, or we were going to the airport, or we we're going wherever we were. he would get on the bus and he would he and me Whitey would go all the way to the back of the bus and sit on that long seat and just start talking to tell a stories. And then
0: that, you know, I'm one of the guys. I, I like being with the guys. And, and, and the writers wouldn't come back and posit them. and that's In fact, that's where they were sitting when we had the harmonica incident. Oh, uh, with, with Phil Lens, you know, right,
1: yeah. Well, Mickey was the one that told him.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> when Yogi said, hey, hey, stop stop playing that thing, we had just been beaten by the White Sox for, <laughs> four
1: in a row. And, and, and so he's he just... Shut up on that thing. And, and so, so, Bill Jimmy says, what do you say? And Mickey says, he said, play
0: it louder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were on the bus. So that was a famous story. That's definitely a famous story. Everybody was on the bus. We were going to the airport. <laughs> right. We had just been swept by the White Sox. We were going to the airport. But, right. but nobody had their heads down. I mean, you know, the White Sox had great
2: pitching, probably the best pitching in the league. And they they pulled you down because they couldn't score any runs, so they knew we couldn't give up any runs. Right. But those things happen in the game. I mean, that's that's why when you look at professional sports, everybody says a team should win. There's no such thing as somebody should win. Right. You
1: have to go out and beat the
2: other
1: guy. Right. Remember, the score is even when you start. Yeah.
0: <laughs> how about uh, Yogi? Like we've mentioned, Yogi, uh, how you you had him as a teammate and a manager.
1: As a man, teammate, coach, and a manager, Yogi was the pri- the, the the most. how's uh, well, that He was a guy who, who was direct about everything. He, he really believed that when you're
2: pitching, your best pitch is your fastball. He always believed that. Right. I don't care what it was, because at that point, Ralph Terry didn't have a great fastball. But Ralph's fastball set up his breaking pitches. Ralph's breaking pitches were the best on our team. Right. Whether it was a fastball slider or a cut fastball, and he always liked the uh, Ralph liked to fiddle with the ball and try to figure out hmm. how can I use the
1: seams to make the ball break this way or that way. Now everybody thinks you're putting something on the ball, but they don't realize it's the spin you put on the seams that causes the ball to break. Yeah. And uh, and Yogi Yogi with Dave when he first time he caught me he says. Hey, the first time he's going to lineup, up, we'll go to fastball. So Why, Yoke? He said, Because we have to establish your fastball and see what it's going to be like, because you won't have it the last three innings. Right. So he's already thinking seven, eight, nine. Right. So you're thinking get, get through the first inning, he's thinking seven, eight, nine. And then that, that's as positive as you can get,
0: you know? Yeah. Absolutely. So you're going to be out here, so we, what, we have to set that up. Yeah. But what about Roger Maris? I know, like, what he went through in 61. I mean, it was a lot of pressure on him, right?
1: Well, it was worse in '62 and '63 because now all these writers were second-guessing that. See,
2: I told you this guy wasn't a guy to hit home runs. Well, most people don't hit 60 home runs every year. Right. Roger was probably our best all-around
0: player because he was our best outfielder. Yeah. Without a doubt, he he was. If he wasn't
1: the best base runner, he was in number two.
0: Really? I didn't realize he was a great runner. Wow base runner yeah okay if,
1: if, if roger's on first and the balls hit the outfield nine out of ten times he's going to third okay there are a lot of guys do that because they don't read the ball in relationship to where the outfielder is who's going to make that throw right roger was smart enough to know as an outfielder where difficult throws were and who the good outfielders were like uh or guys yeah. like that who could throw you out right but but he, and and, he, and also I've never seen him overthrow the cutoff man or make a bad throw. Right. And he just did everything. And if it, if it took like, a drag month to get a base, the winning run in, he he dragged the ball to second base because everybody's playing him out on the outfield grass almost. Right. And we'd get the. But very, very uh, humble. Not one of those guys to beat his own drum. You know, in the fact that they hit the home run, they, uh, Boyer and, and, uh, and, uh, and Hector had to push him back out to take a, take a curtain call
2: because he he didn't want to go out there. Wow! hit the home That's what I get paid to do. I don't want to go out. <laughs> but that's how humble he was. But yeah. you know, today they you know they do today guys are you know jumping up and down, throwing
0: the helmets in the air. And you know. Well, you know, it, it is what it is. Right, right. That's true. Um, you you had mentioned these guys, and I want to hear you expound upon it but like ellie howard and and hector lopez tell tell me why they uh, were really? yeah
1: they were my mentors they, yeah. they were the guys in charge they they were when when i came there, i went to see the travel secretary bruce henry he said now you're going to be rooming with elston and howard and hector lopez i said what kind of room we have he said well you are going to have a joining room right and so okay. in, the, in those days you had a lot of long road trips because remember there still was only 10 teams got ten teams in your league, so it wasn't. And, and I think you know, we we had, that was the second. That
2: was the first year they went to California sixty one. Yeah, okay. so we did go to California, but you'd go to California, so you would have fifteen day road trips. And so you know that's that's three different. That's like what five times you were you were going. You had different hotels, right? And so our room was either one room would have one bed, and the other room would have two beds. And the, but that one bed, the extra bed, was always for me. Okay. So I would room with Elston for one one part of the trip, and
1: Hector the next part, and then they'd go back, back and forth like that, whatever hotel we were in. And we ate a lot of meals together, you know, like I said, we played golf together, and just did a lot of things socially together that, uh,
0: you know, got to know their families well. Yeah. You know, a lot of people I know, you know Marty Appel, right? Yes. Pen- okay.
1: well, I can't say yes.
0: I know who he is. I'm you know who he is? Well, I, I had interviewed. He, 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 he came in when I was leaving, I think. Okay. But um, he was raving about Elston, that Elston should have been a manager. You know, that, uh, in fact, uh, I forget who was it that left. It was before they got Bill Verdon. But um, he was—he was saying we were all thinking that this was the time that Ellie was going to be the manager. But uh, I mean, do uh, you think Ellie would have been a good manager? Yes. Yeah. That's—that's yes. That's what. Been great manager. Yeah, that's what people a say. Great manager. Yeah. Because Elston, listen—you
1: you know, Hector managed in the Panamanian Winter League.
0: Did you know that? Oh no, no, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, Hector managed in the Panthers and he would always tell you about the young players coming up. He knew, he, he told me when Carew was coming up. He
0: got to look out for this kid, Carew. He's going to oh. be in Minnesota. I said, who is Carew? <laughs> well, a lot of people <laughs> I learned. Know, I, I found out. <laughs> yeah, I bet you I mean, did. <laughs> but, the, the, but the thing about Ellie, Ellie had that very quiet uh, temperament about him. Right. He didn't get mad at people. And he, he believed in the things that You're a manager, you you let your coaches know what their responsibilities are, and you let them go ahead and do it. You don't have to be the guy who does everything. And, uh, you don't, you know, he might say, uh, something like, uh, hey Al, he he
2: came to me one time, he he said, you can shake me off anytime you want. I said, only why would I want to shake you off? You've been here 10 years. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm new new here. You know what you're doing. He said, no, no, no. You 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 have to learn to call the game for yourself because I won't be here that much longer. Yeah, and that's the first inkling I got that he was thinking about the fact that he wasn't going to be playing much longer, and, right. he, and he was absolutely right. But mm-hmm. I should be calling my, my my game and myself. Right. But my mind, in my mind, I never shook anybody off. I would just stare until they changed the sign. Right. You know? And most of the catchers who had me knew that. Yeah. But I, I, believe this. I had two pitches that I really relied on: my fastball and my curveball. Okay. And my curveball wasn't great, but it was good enough to get average batters out. And, and, yeah. and Believe it or not, in the major leagues, there are a lot of average batters. Right. So I said to myself, I said, I, I can get
1: these guys out with these two pitches if I get them in my, in my location in my location but my fastball is going to be the pitch i'm going to get him out with whether or not i strike them out or pop them up that's the pitch i'm going to get them out with and elston was smart enough to know that and, 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 and what he was he also he was wise enough to understand that you listen to the what the pitcher says sometimes a pitcher won't throw a pitch because his arm is a little tender yeah. and
0: i You mean Cole? Yes. lot He's thrown a lot of breaking balls. And even even the other game, Damien, the other day he's a lot of breaking
2: balls. I wonder why he's thrown so many breaking balls. That's the worst pitch. You can throw if your arms a little tender. Right. You know, throw the fastball. Yeah, right. throw the fastball. But but then again, I don't know. He, he might have been just
1: thinking, I don't want to, you know, just keep throwing fastball, fastball, fastball. And, and, and also, I, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of pitchers don't understand. Like, a guy like
2: of basketball below your belt down between your knees and your belt right
0: tell you a story about cricket like I I had coached uh I coached youth leagues for like 12 or 13 years and uh I was coaching a Babe roof team and I had this this Indian kid was on the team and he hadn't played since t-ball right and okay. and it was funny I was you know talking to him and I you know I saw okay uh Abishak was his name I said Abishak when did you when was the last time you played he said, oh, uh t-ball I'm like, T ball. He goes and then he's looking at the you know, the kids throwing he goes, Oh, do they throw hard? (laughs) I'm like, Yeah, at fourteen years old they throw they throw hard. But he was like a three three fifty hitter for us and the reason was is he could hit anything low. He drove that ball. I mean if it was up there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> he couldn't he couldn't touch but yeah cricket i and i watched the kids uh you know the parks out here a lot of times you'll see on a sunday morning uh you know a bunch of people get together all these cricket players and uh it's a fascinating i don't understand it but i mean it's a fascinating game to watch <laughs> I, there's, there's a, one of the public golf courses here and i used to go over there and hit golf balls and a guy kermit alexander who was a great runner for ucla oh yeah and he
1: over there on the other side of the park. What, what are they doing? He says, oh, those are the Samoans. They play cricket all day
0: the over yeah. there. They, they, that's what they did. That, that was their game. Yeah. Cricket, 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 yeah. Oh, it's an unbelievable game. But like I said, I haven't, it would take me a while to figure out what they were doing, but it, it was fun to watch.
2: Right, exactly.
0: Yeah. 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 Now, uh, games last a long time. Oh, awesome. yeah. They could last days, I think. They have these... Days, uh, exactly. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. But, um, you know, I I watched um, a lot of interviews and stuff, uh, you know, getting prepared to, you know, talk with you. And, uh, you know, we all know that uh, in 1974, you gave up the home run to Hank. But you guys had a pretty special relationship. Uh, what, what can you tell me about Hank Aaron? Because I grew up idolizing the guy. I mean... You know, was he, was it worth uh, me hi- idolizing him? I mean, he was... Oh, oh most, most definitely. Yeah, yeah, right. A relationship, a relationship built on two things. Okay. Uh, respect, respect, and the trust in that respect. Okay. Now, Bill Yancey, before he became a scout for the Phillies, which he was scouting for when he first saw me. Right. And scouted for the Milwaukee, Bra- Milwaukee Braves, who had moved from Boston. Okay and at that time their two best
2: players were Bill Bruton and Henry Aaron right and he and and whenever I would be with uh, the AFC I'd go to his house and he had all the players all
1: the Colored players in baseball, especially in the, in the Philly organization, on the wall in his house. And yeah. I said, "Well, you don't have any players from Milwaukee there." He said, "No, no, I don't work for them anymore." He said,
2: but <laughs> I said, "Well, who's the best ball player?" Because always there was always that argument: "Who's
0: the best ball player you've ever seen?" He said, "Well, the best hitter I've ever seen was Henry Aaron." Wow! And I said, "Who?" And I said, "Who?" You
2: he said Henry Aaron because people
0: didn't talk about Aaron. Right? They didn't talk about Aaron until the '57 World Series. Right. And people saw him in those two World Series, but nobody talked about him.
1: But the thing about Henry, and, and, and Wooly too, they were both very humble in their own ways. Wooly was more, I think,
2: uh, like, uh, I don't have time to do this, but right. Henry would take time to do that. And not only that, Henry was a guy would give you the respect of wanting to know how you're doing and, and, and can I help you in any way. And when I worked there in 2000, I worked for Fox, and I was doing games for Fox Valve. Right. About midway through, this, through the season, he saw me one day, and he said, How are you doing? I said, oh, I'm doing fine. He said, You like the job? I said, No. <laughs> I like the job. There are other aspects of the job I don't like. Right.
1: And uh, he said, Oh, do you, you want to come back next year? And I said, No. And he said, Okay, that's that. that. And he never asked me why, but I guess he figured there was something there. That precluded me wanting to come back and I, and basically I think it mainly, I, I felt the, 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 I got the job at the last minute because there was an opening with the, uh, Angels and the guy who had the job prior to me was Don Sutton's son
0: Darren. Oh, right, right. Darren got the job with the Angels and I took his job with the Braves, which was the, doing the Fox games every Wednesday. Okay. The people at Fox wanted somebody who had played for the Braves. So, therefore, now, and this this telecast went through seven states in the South. Right. And they wanted somebody who had played for the Braves. And the one word that really rankled if from what I heard was Yankee. <laughs> oh. Yeah. yeah, they didn't forget that war back in uh, the eighteen. 18- was
1: well, well, not. Not, I, I think some people did it in, in, their, in their correspondence just to be, you know, just yeah. to show their pleasure with the fact that I was the guy doing the game. Yeah. He was a Yankee. Why was he? You've got yeah. a Yankee can't do the brave games. I mean, yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. But no, yeah. but uh, Henry was always pleasurable like that. He,
0: he, he seemed like it. Yeah. Just
1: a nice man. Just
0: a very yeah. nice man. Yes. Very very humble man. Well, you know, it, it's it's nice when there's somebody you look up to from afar, you know, like I would, and to hear that th- what you thought of him, the persona that you thought of him from, you know, seeing him like on TV or whatever, that he really was like that. That's that's always a great thing. I mean, yeah,
1: because you never know. It's like McCovey's the same way. McCovey was just as quiet. I mean, you say, hey, Willie, how you doing? He said, how are you doing? We played together yeah. in Valley yeah. back, I think it was 85 or 80, 84, 85. And uh, they had us in twosomes. And so he and I are riding in a cart together. And I said, Willie, how come you don't have a driver? He said, because I can't hit it in the fairway. <laughs> 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 that, that made sense. I mean, you know, so, yeah, where, where do you need to know it? Yeah. And we, we, we brought her around and and, you know, if you had a bad shot, you had a bad shot. But the one thing we both acknowledged, we weren't golfers. We were yeah. guys playing golf and having fun and getting to know one another.
0: Yeah. You know what I want to close up with is you did a thing called Dodger Talk? You did that yes, for quite... Yeah, that for almost 10 years. Almost yeah. 10 years. I yeah, think. tell me. That sound, sounded interesting. You like doing that or... I, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. yeah. And the, the,
1: how I got involved
0: with is I was doing cable television. Right. And cable television was in its infancy at that time. And so locally they had so many different
1: sponsors who wanted to do the package. But I don't know what the holdup was, so, so there was no continuity there. And so, and I was only doing I think 12 games. And one day, the fellow who was producing the, the Dodger Talk show, was, which was a post-game talk show, right. uh, was a fellow named Mal Alberts. And he, okay. he did a lot of celebrity golf tournaments. So one day he calls me. He says, do you, I hear mean, you talk when you go to these golf tournaments. Mm-hmm. The people interview you, interview you, talk. Yeah. You're pretty good. He said, you think you could do that on the radio? I says, I don't know. I'll, I'll give it a try. Mm-hmm. I had done that all through school. Not that, not that particular thing, but I had done speaking. And so, so he says, well, come over to station, station and we did a little uh, program a little like a, uh, uh, pro, I guess they call it what uh, pilot and he said no this will be good and yeah. I wound up doing it for like those 10 years and I, lo- <laughs> I what I what I love is that people
0: calling in someone said well what do you like about it I said, because people call in and they really have legitimate questions right what
2: What's going on? Right. And my job is to try to answer those questions to the best of my ability. I'm, yeah. I'm not a know-it-all. Yeah. But I always tell him. And my, my mentor
1: was Tommy Hawkins, who was a former basketball player. Oh, yeah, he yeah. Had had the, he, he, he had had the job. And Tommy always told me, he said, Al, you got to have plenty of ammunition. So get three or four newspapers mm. a couple <laughs> of facts, <packages. laughs> You have to have
2: numbers. You have to have something. You know, yeah. So, when people ask you something, you can refer to it right away. Yeah. And he was
1: absolutely right. And I miss him too, because
2: he, he passed a couple of years ago. Right, right. But, uh, but just like, uh, you know, all these people touch your life
0: and they touch them in such a way that you, you, you'll never forget. Right, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Or Tommy was a. I don't know if you knew any. Tommy
0: with to Notre Dame. Okay, I think I did, know. I Well, I didn't know Notre Dame, but yeah, okay.
1: He was. City kid out of Chicago, only about six four, and, would, and he was considered to be the best basketball player in Notre Dame the year he came out. And, he, and people said, "Why are you going to Notre Dame?" And well, he went to Notre Dame, and he was the first black guy to be the head of, I guess, the 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 with
2: the English department, and okay. the, the student English department, or something like that. Yeah. He would tell me the things he did. And, uh, and then when, he, when I first met him, when I came
1: out here in 71, 72, he was working for NBC. And, and I, one Sunday morning I got up and I said, we're going to now cut to this segment where you know, we're going to show Tommy Hawkins on his trip to the Orient. And mm. he had gone over to the Orient. He had interviewed all these people, you know, dignitaries, just average, everyday mm. people. This guy is really a professional man. Yeah. He's he's not a guy who's just playing off his celebrity. He's, he's really
2: good at what he does. Yeah. And he was on the radio for years and, and doing this uh, morning show with this group called uh, Ken and Bob. And uh, he would he do little dick excerpts, and uh, he never was on a on a basketball show. And he and he never regretted it. But right. his his passion was jazz, love jazz. Oh, okay. And he had, and he had his own radio show, and, and I said, "Well, where do you get the, 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 the player, the tapes?" He said, "They're mine."
1: <laughs> he had his whole, his whole litany of tapes of all these players, these discs. Man, a lot of this stuff that they had. That was before the disc era, because this
2: was right. way back in the early,
1: early
0: nineties. Right, later, right. later, later eighties, early nineties. Yeah. just a wonderful man just a wonderful yeah. man absolutely well Al I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up but um okay, now well, do you, you nice oh I will but um you know um is there any way that I could give you uh so you can listen to I don't you said you don't do the internet or no I don't have the internet
1: but you you, you got a little tape or something you can
0: send me or okay but
1: tell George but tell George I said hello
0: I certainly will Al okay I appreciate that this was, this was a lot of fun. All right. Thank you, boss. Okay. Bye. Bye. The phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, is meant to indicate how children's qualities and talents are similar to their parents. So to honor my dad and his influence on me concerning baseball, I named this podcast, The Baseball Doesn't Fall Far From the Tree, in his honor. If you have any questions about today's program, you can contact us via email at rvhurte at gmail.com. And if you're interested in our new book, Intelligent Influence in Baseball, you can also send us an email, and we will let you know how you can order it. In the immortal words of the famous baseball journalist, Red Smith, Baseball is a dull game only for those with dull minds.